Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. I want you to think about this as a question. If you could ask for anything, knowing that you'll receive it, what would you ask for? If you could ask for anything, all right? Um, And this is like, if you've seen Aladdin, you know, the genie says you can't ask for more wishes. It's kind of the same rule apply. You can ask for one thing. So I thought it'd be fun to throw this out on social media and see what people had to say. So here's, here's just a few responses. There was like over 80 responses on that, on that post. Um, let's see, can you throw those up for me? Here's the first one. Morgan Crowder said, because um, people were posting a lot of serious stuff, and she said, serious answers only, or can I say the ability to fly? Which I think we've all probably wanted that at some point, right? The ability to fly. What's the next one? Donnie Wells says more room at Greenbrier or our own property. And I agree with that. That would be amazing, right? What's the next one? Crystal Barnett, a laundry maid. I'm not really sure what that is, but um, it sounds, sounds good. Um, I guess doesn't need somebody to clean the whole house, just the laundry, right? What's the next one? Josh Simon, this one's, this one's kind of fun. An excavator, a bulldozer, and some land. I could go out, dig a giant hole for no reason, and fill it in whenever I wanted. <laughs> now, guys, any, any guys in the room sound like, that sounds amazing, right? Just go play with giant Tonka toys um, with no purpose at all. That sounds fun. All right, one, one more. Chad Stevenson, all right. <laughs> he said, for the Razorbacks to beat Oklahoma in every athletic event until the Lord calls David Rainey, my beloved pastor, home. Now, I don't, I don't even think Chad showed up today, right? Would you, <laughs> you, can't, you can't be posting mess like that and then not show up. But um, listen, that is, uh, that's not just a fantasy. That, that, is, that is an impossible dream. You can't even ask for that. Oklahoma. Far superior. Anyway, I know you guys are high on the, the win last night over Oklahoma State, but that is not Oklahoma Sooners, right? Oklahoma State different than the Oklahoma Sooners. Just want to make that clear. So anyway, a lot of fun stuff was posted on that a lot on that post, um, but I was surprised. There was also a lot of serious answers. A lot of a lot of things that people posted about wanting to see loved ones again who have passed away, wanting to see loved ones come to know Jesus as their Savior. Um, people posting about peace in our world, and several people said that they would ask for wisdom. And I think they knew where we were headed this morning, right? Because that is what we are talking about. In our text this morning, that's exactly what happens. God tells Solomon, I want you to ask for anything and I'll give it to you. And Solomon asks for wisdom and God gives it to him, right? But, but more than this is a story about God giving Solomon wisdom, it's a story about the faithfulness of God. And I want us to see that this morning. So if you have a Bible, open it with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. First Kings, it's, uh, it's in the Old Testament, um, towards the left-hand side of your Bible. I'll give you some time to find it. We're starting this series today in the book of First Kings. We're going to go all the way through First Kings and Second Kings this summer together, and I am pumped about it. These books together 
First and Second Kings, in the original document, it's just one story. It, it's all one long thing. So we're calling this uh, Kings and Kingdoms Season 1. We'll be... Uh, the first Kings and then season two will be second Kings. This was basically written though as a history book. Okay. Any, any history buffs? Like you just love history. Two of us in the room, three of us. I love history. I, and, and, and so this is, this is a, a neat book. It talks all about Israel's history of Kings and what happened in the country or in the nation of, of Israel and their Kings that came there's two kings that are not in this book um, predominantly. The first king of Israel is a guy named Saul. And Saul was chosen because he looked the part, right? His story is in 1 Samuel. And, and, and so the people of Israel, they said, we, we see everybody else has kings and we want to have a king as well. And God says, I am your king. You don't need a king. But they said, yeah, but we really want an earthly king. And so they chose Saul as their king, but he wasn't the guy that God really wanted. And so behind Saul came a guy named David, right? You've heard of David probably. He's famous for all kinds of stuff. Maybe the most famous is, is fighting Goliath, right? The, the giant Goliath and defeating him. Or, or maybe you've heard of how he wrote uh, the Psalms. Um, he's, he's famous for that or, or famous for being a man after God's own heart. Uh, he's also famous for having the affair with a lady named Bathsheba, right? And so Saul and David were the first two kings. After David comes Solomon. And Solomon is the son of David and Bathsheba, right? And, and so 1 Kings really starts with him. In the first two chapters, you see King David dying and passing the torch on to Solomon. So we're starting this morning with, with King Solomon. Before we read it, I want us to pray uh, again. And so I'm going to pray for us. And as I do, why don't you just pray for yourself that God would speak to you in this time this morning. God, we're thankful for another day to come and, and to worship you. And God, now as we are starting this new study in the book of 1 Kings, this Old Testament history book, God, I pray that you would just reveal things to us that we need to see, that we need to apply to our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show us Jesus in 1 Kings this morning. We're listening and we love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. First Kings chapter three. We're just going to look at this this morning as a story. All right. As a story. So first Kings chapter three, look at verse one with me. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Solomon brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace, the Lord's temple and the wall surrounding Jerusalem. However, the people were sacrificing on the high places because until that time, a temple for the Lord's name had not been built. Solomon loved the Lord by walking in the statutes of his father, David, but he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there because it was the most famous high place. He offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Now, let's, let's pause here for just a second. Let's kind of set the scene of what's happened. So in chapters one and two, King David has died and he's passed on the torch, passed on the crown to Solomon. So now Solomon is the king of Israel. And, and what happens here as we get into this passage is there's kind of this coronation ceremony that's taken place where the new king is being put on the throne and they're celebrating that. 
right? And so they go to this place called Gibeon. It's this high place. This is a place that Moses actually set up as the altar, as the place where they would go and worship God. And so Solomon takes people there. He takes all the priests, all the leaders of the town, all the important people in Israel to Gibeon to offer sacrifices to the Lord. We know that from Second Chronicles chapter 1. It's kind of a mirror passage that you, you use both of those texts to, to form the picture here. And, and it says that he offered a thousand sacrifices. That's, a, that's not a literal term. That's a general expression in, in this time for just a large amount. Right, so it could have been more than a thousand. It could have been just a little less, you know. But it was—it's a lot of sacrifices. That's the point. It follows the pattern that his father, King David, uh, led in. First Chronicles twenty-nine, twenty-one talks about King David offering thousands of sacrifices at one time, and so Solomon goes and he does that. But the point I want us to do as we walk through any kind of narrative or story is try and place yourself there. Like put yourself in this scene and at this high place called Gibeon and they're offering all of these sacrifices that's, uh, you know, the being, being slaughtered and burned and all these different things. And so you can imagine, right, how much work this would be. Like this is an exhausting task. This is a, this is a overwhelming type of an event. And so whenever King Solomon goes in and he lays down that night to go to bed, He's exhausted from all the work and he's probably also overwhelmed that he's now the leader of this powerful nation called Israel. That he has tons of people that he's now in charge of. And so it's just this, it's this moment, right? This coronation moment where it all kind of begins to hit Solomon. The weight of it, the gravity of it begins to set on his shoulders. And whenever he lays down that night to go to sleep, it just kind of hits him. So that's the scene. They're Gibeon, they're offering thousands of sacrifices. Solomon is feeling the weight of being the new king of Israel and, and, and all of the work and all of the exhaustion that comes with that. Now look at verse five. It says, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night and God said, ask, what should I give you? And Solomon replied, you have shown great and faithful love to your servant my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and integrity. You have continued this great and faithful love for him by giving him a son to sit on his throne as it is today. Lord my God, you have now made your servant king in my father David's place, yet I am a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people. You have chosen a people too many to be counted or numbered. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. Let's pause right there for just a second. So we see here Solomon's request. So he's exhausted, he lays down, he feels the weight of being the new king and God says, ask anything and I'm gonna give it to you. And we see what Solomon asked for, but before he asks for anything, he does two things. First, he recognizes who God is. Okay, he recognizes who God is in verse six. I want you to see this. And Solomon replied, you have shown great and faithful love to your servant, my father David. You've continued this great and faithful love for him by giving him a son to sit on his throne as it is today. Now, in the Bible, whenever you see faithful love in the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word hased. This is a, it's a term that means covenantal love. 
okay? It's a promise-keeping kind of love. And, and so whenever Solomon is recognizing who God is, he says, you're the faithful, loving God who keeps promises. You're faithful, okay? He references two different major covenants or promises of the Old Testament. I want you to sh uh, see those here as well. So this is a little bit of Bible nerd history type of stuff. But first you see the, what's called the Abrahamic covenant here. In this passage, Solomon references to the Abrahamic covenant, which is just a promise that God made to Abraham that he's going to establish a people from Abraham's line. He's gonna establish a nation out of Abraham's lineage. Genesis chapter 12, verse two. I will make you, Abraham, into a great nation. I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so that's a promise that God makes. Genesis chapter 15, he, he, it's a, God takes Abraham outside. And he says, look, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to. That's how many your descendants will be. And so did you notice in 1 Kings 3 when, when Solomon references that, right? He says, he says, you have made a people, verse eight, your servant is among your people. You have chosen a people too many to be numbered or counted. He's referencing the Abrahamic covenant, that you've been faithful. You did it. There's people too many to be counted. He also references what's called the Davidic covenant. This is a covenant that God made with King David, where God promises to always have a king from David's line on the throne. Okay? 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look at this. It'll be on the screen for you. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. The Lord is talking to King David. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. It's talking of Solomon. Solomon's the one that's gonna build the temple in just a couple of chapters. Verse 14, I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of many, with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love, my hased, my covenantal love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, when I removed, from, when, whom I removed from before you. Verse 16, your house and kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. This is a promise that God makes to David and says, from you, there's, there's going to be a king that sits on the throne forever, okay? That's a, big, that's a big promise. And so in this passage, Solomon is acknowledging all of that. He's acknowledging who God is, that God is great, that God is faithful, that he keeps his promises, and that he's worthy to be praised. So he sees who God is, and then he recognizes who he is. Verse 7. Like there's this moment where he says, I'm just a youth with no experience. Who am I, right? And so maybe this scene at, at Gibeon is just so overwhelming that it just humbles the new king, that he realizes that he's kind of in over his head a little bit. He says, I'm young and I have no experience. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt like you were in over your head or you, you didn't lack the experience necessary? I feel it all the time. I feel it every time I stand up here. Like, when are you gonna realize that I'm just like a young punk and I'm a fraud and, you know, but you still, you just keep letting me get up, get up here. But I, I feel this, right? 
I feel what he's talking about here, that I might be in over my head here, but I think that's a great posture to lead from, that humility is so needed in leadership. And that's what we see here in Solomon. He says, God, I need your help. I need your help. And he shows dependence on God. He shows dependence. We see him asking God for help, actually declaring his dependence upon God. See, a self-righteous person doesn't ever need to ask God for anything. They don't see the need, they don't see the need for it. They've got it all under control, or so they think, right? Have you ever seen a little kid in the, in the I do it phase? That's annoying, right, as parents? It's like, no, you, you don't do it. You're gonna hurt yourself. But every kid I've had has gone through the I do it phase of just thinking that they have it all together. And in this passage, God says, ask five times, and then the word give is five times as well. The point I want us to see is that, man, God invites us to ask and he loves to give. We're just too stubborn to ask. We're just too stubborn to ask him or maybe we think that we've, we've, we've got it all kind of figured out or it's not that big of a deal or maybe we think by asking him that we're gonna bother him or annoy him in some kind of a way. And maybe we would say, man, if God would specifically tell me to ask, well, then I would ask. Can I just tell you that he has told us that? He has told us to ask, ask him. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, keep asking and it will be given to you. Then he goes on to talk about the, a son asking a dad for some food. And he says, what kind of dad would it be if, if he gave him a stone instead of food, right? And then Matthew 7, 11, Jesus says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more so does our heavenly father know how to give good things? We've been told to ask. God invites us to ask and he loves to give. And so let me just say, ask, ask him. And by asking him, you are actually declaring your dependence on him, which is what he longs for, right? So, so ask. And so he, he, he recognized who God is. He recognizes who he is. And then we see the request that he makes in verse nine. And he asks for a receptive heart, a receptive heart. The, the Hebrew phrase there literally means a hearing heart, a hearing heart, which is a term or it's a figure of speech that meant wisdom. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, I told you that's kind of a, a mirror passage here. That writer actually puts in the words wisdom and knowledge. Verse 10, so, so grant me wisdom and knowledge so that I may lead these people, right? And so Solomon is asking for a receptive heart to judge and to discern good and evil so that he can lead God's people. That's why he asked for these things. His motives were right, right? That's what we see, that his motives were right. James 4 tells us that, that it is possible to pray prayers to God that won't be answered because of our selfish desires. Did you know that? James 4, 3, you ask, and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, right? You ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. We know what it's like to be able to, to kind of tell or be able to discern when somebody's motives are wrong, right? 
Like if somebody's words and actions don't match up with, with, with like you, you, can, you can see how their motives are off, right? We've experienced that before. They're just kind of shady a little bit. And God can tell too. God can tell when our motives aren't, aren't right. So if you want God to answer your prayers, come to him with the right motives. Come to him with the right motives. And what that looks like is this, pray prayers that desire the desires of God. Pray prayers that desire the desires of God. That's how Jesus taught us to pray, right? That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Matthew, Matthew 6 in the model prayer, he says, come to him and say, Father, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, right? And so that's what it looks like. That's what wisdom actually is. That's what wisdom means. Wisdom is understanding God's plans and purposes and then shaping our lives around them. Understanding God's plans and purposes and then shaping my life around them. And God says that is what wisdom is. And, then, and he says this, that he is gracious to give you and I that same wisdom. James 1.5, now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and it will be given to him. So that's what Solomon does. That's his, that's his request. And then in verse 10 of chapter three, it says, now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. Literally the way that that reads is the matter was good in the eyes of Yahweh. It pleased the Lord what he asked for, what he did not ask for. And so God responds. God responds. I want us to see that. Look at verse 10 with me. First Kings three, verse 10. Now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, because you've requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you asked discernment for yourself to administer justice, I will therefore do what you asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. In addition, I will give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor so that no king will be your equal during your entire life. And so God responds to him. But again, it's not about the wisdom that he receives. I want us to zoom in this morning on the goodness and the faithfulness of God in this moment. God gives Solomon exactly what he asked for. Solomon asked for a discerning heart. He asked for wisdom. He asked for knowledge. And God gave him exactly that. And it says he gave it to him in abundance that there will never be anyone else who has as much wisdom as I'm giving you. And then if you continue to read over the next 11 chapters, you're gonna see that this came true. In fact, the very next set of verses is a famous story of the two ladies who had the babies and one of the babies dies and says, so they're fighting over whose child is left, right? And they come before King Solomon and both of them are saying, that's my baby. King Solomon, genius twist in this story, he goes, okay, cut the baby in half. We'll give one half to each of you. And the lady who was actually the mom said, no, don't do that. Let the baby live. And Solomon goes, I know you're the real mom, right? You've heard that story. That, that happened immediately after this passage we're studying this morning. And 1 Kings 3.28 says, all Israel heard about the judgment the king had given. And they stood in awe of the king because they saw that God's wisdom was in him. 
right? And so God gives more than any other person has ever had wisdom to Solomon. Uh, some more passages, uh, chapter four, verse 34, people came from all over to hear Solomon's wisdom. Uh, chapter four, verse 32, Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and wrote over 1,000 songs. He had great wisdom in building a nation and an army. He was excellent in maintaining relationships and trade with other nations. He leads the building of the temple and the palace in chapter six and seven. Like we see that God gave him wisdom and it was evident in his life. But not only did he give him exactly what he asked for, God gave him more than he asked for. Did you see that? In verse 13, in addition, I will give you what you did not ask for. I'm gonna give you more, he says. Not only am I giving you wisdom, I'm giving you more. <laughs> I'm giving you riches and I'm giving you honor so that no king will be your equal during your entire life. Not only will I give you what you asked for, Solomon, I'm gonna give you more than that. Like this is a, this is a big moment, right? This is, this is huge. He's given wealth and he's given honor. We see that in his story, 2 Chronicles 1.15, the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones. This week, maybe take some time and read chapter six and seven and just see the elaborate palace that he built and all the wealth and the power that he had. Like Solomon had it all. But forget Solomon for a minute. Like forget, forget Solomon and look at the goodness of God that he is a bigger giver than we are askers. I don't think asker's a word, but I'm just gonna put it in there. That God is a bigger giver than we are askers. Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. It is impossible to ask God for too much. It's impossible to ask God for too much because his capacity to give far exceeds our ability to even ask or imagine. So pray big prayers. Declare your dependence on him by asking. Pray big, understanding that you can't outpray his power. You can't. You can't. Far more than we could ever think or imagine. So that's, that's kind of what happens. And then in verse 14, he says, there's this covenant type of language that happens, this covenant agreement between God and Solomon. He says this, if you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and commands just as your father David did, I will give you long life. If you do this, I will do this, right? And that's kind of how it ends. So Solomon wakes up, goes back to Jerusalem in verse 15, and that's the end of the story right? Except for it's not really. It's, it's not really the end of the story. Unfortunately, this is one of those stories that, that takes a turn. There's a, there's a twist that, that happens and it doesn't have a, a happy ending. We know that Solomon turns from God. In just a few chapters, actually two weeks from now, we're going to talk about Solomon turning from God. After all that, like after this moment that just happened, Solomon turns from God and there's red flags or there's foreshadowing in this passage that, that Solomon is not gonna uphold his end of the deal. Like it's all in here. 
Remember, this is a, this is a history story of the kings of Israel that was written to the people who are sitting in exile in Babylon. All right, so the people reading this are sitting in exile. They're sitting there because Israel had spiraled out of control and they had been defeated. That's, that's kind of the scene. And verse one, <laughs> verse one shows us several red flags. Look at verse one. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Stuff doesn't go well whenever you partner Israel and Egypt in the Bible. And Solomon makes an agreement with him. But then it also says that he was working to build. We weren't, weren't finished yet. He was working to build the palace, the temple, and the wall around Jerusalem. And so the people who this was written to, again, sitting in exile in Babylon, are reading this. And they are able to look up and they're able to see the wall and the temple and the palace, but not standing beautifully. These things had been built and they lay in ruins. They'd been torn down because Israel spiraled out of control. They didn't trust God and they'd been destroyed. Somewhere along the way, Solomon stopped fearing God. Somewhere along the way, Solomon turns to other little G gods. The nation is going to split and they will be conquered. The story of first and second Kings is, is a long history that doesn't get much better. And the thing that makes God's faithfulness in this story so much more beautiful is that God knew. Like God knew that they would turn away, that Solomon would not hold up his end of the deal. Again, look at the Davidic covenant with me. It'll be on the screen for you. Second Samuel chapter seven. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, David, I will raise up after you a descendant, Solomon, who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him. See, God knew, like God knew that he was going to turn away and he still gave him more than he asked for. He still gave him more than he asked for. So, so again, don't miss the faithfulness of God in this passage. I know there's a lot going on in this room right, right now, but don't miss the faithfulness and the love of God. So I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you are ashamed of your past. Maybe you are walking in unfaithfulness this morning. God knows and he still upholds his end of the deal. He still upholds his end of the deal. Faithful love. See, the, the thing is, we're just like Solomon in a lot of ways. Maybe we have good intentions, but we're flawed. We're sinful. And God knew we would be. And when God promises to King David that a king is going to sit on the throne of David forever, man, he's not ultimately talking about Solomon. 
He's talking about the promised one true king from the line of David who would sit on the throne forever. He's talking about King Jesus. That's the reason Matthew chapter one walks through the lineage and points us from David to Jesus. It's to fulfill this covenant. That there'll be one who will sit on the throne who is perfect. And Jesus is the promised faithful son of David who would lay down his life for the redemption of us all. And that's exactly what he did. That he put on skin and bone, he came to this earth to save us. His death on a cross, his resurrection out of the grave offers you and me life. And if we just trust in him, believe in him, the Bible says he is faithful to save us. And we know that he keeps his promises, that he upholds his end of the deal. And so if you just step out in faith and trust him, you will be saved. His death paid the price. His resurrection sealed the deal. Jesus is the true king, greater than, than Solomon. He'll, he'll never turn away. He's perfect in wisdom, perfect in faithfulness. And so ask him to forgive you and he will generously give love and forgiveness. And he gives it more abundantly than we could ever ask. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.